This is a Conversations with Creatives podcast for Opus. Spring is here, so we're stepping outdoors with a new theme, Conversations with Nature. Over the next few months, we'll be discussing the different ways artists converse with their natural surroundings and discover fresh paths of creativity. In this first episode, Alex Stewart, Gay Adams, Valerie Anson, and David Ellingson will be sharing their views on a greener practice. Artists have long had a fascination and deep respect for the planet on which we exist, but how do we make environmentalism a priority and bring green initiatives to the forefront of cultural conversations? Alex Stewart's work focuses on creating a narrative for the continued efforts towards sustainability and environmental preservation. He creates in the forests of British Columbia, using homemade paints and showing how they degrade in nature in order to humanise our environment. The result is a merging of street art and plein air, depicting soft, ephemeral female figures interacting with nature. My name's Alex Stewart. I am an environmental artist working primarily in stencils, uh, using my own paints, and that's a process that's evolved over the past five years, mainly working out in the wilderness and then had a studio practice as well, but it's not the majority of what I do. For the longest time, I was a stubborn artist, especially when I was in university where I was like, art doesn't need to mean anything. <laughs> and I like just making art for the sake of making art. And then eventually that to me got old. And then I've always been an avid uh, outdoors person. Um, rock climbing, hiking, camping, like overnighting, everything like that. And I wanted to find a way to incorporate all of that into my work. And then I saw there's not a lot of artists who work like out in the wild in the way that I do, but I wanted to draw attention to things that I noticed. There's a lot of people who take our, our parks and natural spaces in Canada here for granted. And a lot of people who see trash on the trail or, you know, dog bags on the trail and walk by it thinking it's someone else's problem or the people who leave the trash or the dog bags there thinking it's someone else's problem and not theirs. And I just wanted to cause people pause with my work and have them take a moment to reevaluate their surroundings, which is why I put my pieces, you know, in trails and in the forest. I create portraits to kind of create an, an immersive experience, but I do it using um, like handmade papers. So rice paper, I use um, a paint that changes almost every time that I make it, um, but it's three key ingredients are flour, water, and sugar. Um, and I just boil those and get the consistency that I want. And then I use earth pigments um, so I'll make my own condensed charcoal and then use that for my blacks and my grays. And I'll get um, other pigments from a company called called Earth Pigments, which they sell um, non-toxic. I, I haven't had an issue finding a color that they can't get for me. So it's pretty, pretty awesome that way. I make them in my studio or in my kitchen because I need my stove to make them to oil the the flour and water and all of that 
And then I actually use a product that Opus sells, which is, it's like a, a fill it yourself spray can that you um, pressurize with a bike pump. And I just use that and it mimics the quality of spray paint pretty much perfectly. I don't have a set recipe. I have set materials that I use, but I change it almost every time. My whole practice is based on creating as little waste as an artist as I can, which is really hard as an artist because it's pretty innately um, wasteful to be an artist and create. Uh, so I try and reuse as much as I can. There's so many things, and especially if your practice is at home, I know Golden has a do-it-yourself paint filtration thing on their website for uh, filtering out your, your brush water. Most people that I've talked to don't think twice about rinsing their paints down the drain, and that's not really the best practice. So if you can build yourself a little at-home filtration system to get all the pigments out, that's better. Or working in oils, if you're working in, you know, uh, like with linseed oil and stuff like that, it's a little better. But yeah, it's there's not a huge push in the art world to for more sustainability. I found like it's coming, but it's not it's not there yet. Sadly, I I was actually toying with the idea of figuring out a way to create a artist quality paint that people would want to use that's not like an acrylic paint but that's not uh, petroleum based or anything like that because one of the spray paints that I use in my studio work is um, called sugar and it's actually made from sugarcane I haven't noticed a decline in you know pigment quality or light fastness or anything like that so I I think the possibilities are out there it just requires requires letting go of some traditions in the art world. And I feel like there's a huge attachment to this is how it's always been done. So we should keep doing it this way, but that's not, I mean, that's in every aspect of life, but I find that that's something that needs to be challenged. And I think having some larger companies pursue a more eco-friendly paint and try and push it would be better. I know there's lots of push for, you know, water-based paints and stuff like that, but that doesn't change the the end result of that paint. <laughs> I've worked with a bunch of environmental organizations doing this, and if their response is positive, then I'm pretty comfortable doing what I'm doing. I document them as they deteriorate, and I sell the prints, and then a portion of all of that goes towards, like, I'm partnered with One Tree Planted, and... Um, working on a partnership with like Surfrider and I donate to like uh, the Ancient Forest Alliance on Vancouver Island and a bunch of other places. I struggle to call it graffiti because it's kind of not, but it kind of is in a natural setting. Like it's something that's so, it humanizes our environment in a little, in a way that hasn't really been done before, I don't think, um, because it's something that you only ever see in the city and then all of a sudden it's in the forest it kind of catches people by surprise. Like I've done some Instagram posts and stuff like that about how I make my charcoals and how I make my paints and my glues and all of that type of stuff. Um, but I'm working on the idea of doing like an online, like a PDF or a newsletter or a blog or something like that, where I can get this information out to the public a little better to get more people trying to make their own paints. Because I mean, making your own tempura, paints is even from egg yolks is a practice that's older than 
most of our our paints nowadays and we've seen them last for you know hundreds of about to thousand a thousand years and i think it's a, a lost practice and i think a lot of people would get enjoyment out of taking their practice from essentially start to finish like making their paints and then using them but it's also something that not a lot of people have the time or patience to learn um so i want to make that information more readily available and um i've been thinking about it for a long time and trying to figure out the best way to do it there's there's not a lot of people who are willing to jump at that risk or chance i guess but i would love to see more i think it'll get there and it just it'll just take time for Gay Adams, it is the awe of our wild places, particularly in BC, that drives her to the easel. The why of her painting practice revolves around a connection to our amazing ecological heritage. Painting and teaching plein air, Gay has a deep love for our natural environment and wants to help protect it. My name is Gay Adams, and I got into my plein air practice probably about, seriously, about, I'm going to say 15 years ago. And it's really, it's really hooked me. You know, I find that the tide moves faster than the light and the fog moves faster than the tide. And so there's an immediacy and an energy and a freshness about it that makes it not only more challenging, um, but more rewarding. You know, you're painting a living, breathing, environment and experience as opposed to painting from a photo reference, which is really a, a moment frozen in time. Uh, and I find that my plein air work uh, informs all of my studio paintings. I paint a lot of uh, paintings from up in the Great Bear Rainforest and it is unsullied. Even with all the things that are going on, um, you know, globally, environmentally, the ecosystems up there are still very much intact. And when you're in one of those places, you know, for me, it's like being in church. Uh, it's, I feel connected to everything around me. And when you sit still in a spot for a number of hours and you're just there with the waves lapping, the song of the birds, wherever you are, uh, whether it's the mountains or the ocean or wherever, you find that any wildlife that's around, they settle down and they get closer. You know, like as you sit there, you become more and more keenly aware of what's around you. Like I say, it's, it's like a meditation. It's focused concentration, just staying in one spot and just, you know, I mean, you're engrossed in the, in the conversation you're having with your painting, but it's like, for me, it's very much like the nature sort of envelops you. And you notice so much more. I've actually been painting one time and had a little bird land on the end of my brush. I felt like Snow White. You know, I've, I've been asking myself for years, what can I really do to make a difference? And so uh, the original paintings that I sell privately, um, I donate 10% to um, various environmental causes right here in BC. I also hope to make people notice the treasures that we have. And in so doing, you know, spark a desire to uh, protect them through just awareness. To me, it's almost like when you borrow a book from somebody and they've highlighted their favorite passages, you can't read that book without noticing those passages and your eye immediately goes there. So when you do a painting, it's almost like, yeah, I get that you can see it, but did you notice this about it? 
in a painting, I think you have more latitude. It's like putting a highlighter through a certain passage and going, yeah, but did I know you saw it, but did you really see it? It's like, I know you read it, but did you really, really grasp it? Yeah, that's what I, that's what I hope to accomplish both through my plein air practice and the studio paintings that I, I um, you know, that spring from those experiences. When I'm painting plein air, I've, I've got a, a plein air kit that's just completely customized for being efficient with smaller tubes of paint and everything fits into a small rucksack so that I can, you know, hike about and um, not take up too much space if I'm having to fly. You know, like I, I just, I use very basic oil painter supplies. I, I use some Gamsol for thinner and Gamblin paints and mostly bristle brushes and just what your typical oil painter would use. Nothing fancy, nothing special. I would like to move to maybe a solvent-free studio. I haven't really figured out quite how to do that. I've been experimenting. Um, one thing that's great about the Gamsol is that it doesn't uh, evaporate quickly. So you're able to recycle it uh, almost endlessly. You know, you let it settle out and then you can pour off so you don't go through much. So that's great. And I always wear, uh, you know, gloves that are have a nitrile palm to make sure that those cadmiums and cobalts and stuff can't get through to my skin. Um, so I think most of us artists are trying to have, you know, uh, the least amount of environmental impact that we can. You don't want to have toxic materials being manufactured or used in your studio if you can help it. But sometimes there's nothing like cadmium. <laughs> you know, you're like, ah, this paint does this and and it's really hard to sacrifice, but certainly something to consider moving forward. I certainly do everything in my life as green as possible and the art is no exception. Um, so I'm still learning, you know, what's possible. And it's still evolving very much, but yeah, many of us are moving towards a, a greener studio. I know when I'm out painting, I'm extremely careful what I do with my supplies. Taking only photos and leaving behind nothing but footprints. You know, don't be dumping your solvent into the sand or leaving a dirty paper towel someplace, you know? You gotta be so careful, especially when there's high winds and things can tip over. And when you're in those pristine environments, it feels like sacrilege to leave anything behind, you know, and, and to, of course, not to disturb any of the wildlife, like don't be tromping through tide pools with hiking boots. Don't damage anything. Don't leave any residue, uh, you know, appreciate the pristine, beautiful place you're in and keep it that way. I think as an artist, one of our greatest impacts we can have is just to educate people as to the wealth of our natural heritage, how special it is. And the coast of British Columbia has um, a huge amount of biodiversity. And I didn't realize it until, you know, I got involved with a couple of conservationists and artists that were also biologists and getting up to some of these places. And, you know, once you know what's at stake, you can't unknow it. Just the being out in nature, and experiencing it, letting it soak into your pores, you just become more conscious of how precious that is. And if you can spread some of that around the planet, those you come in touch with, those that collect your work, and, and start the, con the conversation about um, how high the stakes are 
and how precious the planet is. And like I say, you know, we, we tend to get overwhelmed because we think, oh, there's nothing I can do. Well, you know, that's not helpful. Do what you can do. And if everybody does what they can do, then in the end, it makes a huge difference for everyone, not just artists. But the artists have the opportunity to go out there and just really try and create a conversation that might not have been might not have been there otherwise. Valerie Arntzen is an assemblage artist who loves junk. She collects, reuses, recycles and gives new life to discarded objects, wood and metal, creating evocative work which transports the viewer back to a memory of a special trip, person or event. My name's Valerie Arntzen. Uh, I'm an artist in Vancouver. My passion is assemblage. I also do collage and photography. Very rarely do I buy new. I collect old wood and metal, um, especially on my sailboat up and down the coast, we find the quirkiest pieces of rusted metal that comes with a patina after being in the ocean for so many years that I, I could never replicate. I take these pieces and then I start putting them together and they tell a different story. And one of my favorite things is when people come and they get a little nostalgic because they'll look at something and they'll go, oh, I had one of those when I was a kid or my grandmother, it sat on her dresser, you know, and it just brings up all these lovely memories for people. I think for me, it really started as uh, the emotional. But then as I progressed in my career, I realized that um, this was actually a good practice because I wasn't buying new. Um, and then I found that, you know, if I needed something, I just put it out to my art community. Oh, I, I'm looking for a set of uh, wooden drawers. And then boom, it appears at some point at my studio, somebody brings it by. And so there's a lot of items in the world that do need to be um, used, reused, repurposed, um, however we uh, use it. My husband, also, Art Arntzen, he's also... Um, a recycler um, in his art practice, but he builds furniture and um, designs it, And but it's much larger. So between the two of us, we, we uh, well, there's no hope, we collect. <laughs> I'm in a building where we have uh, four of us artists, practicing artists, and they're even looking at um, how they use paper or canvases or panels you know, they might get some old panels from someone and reuse them rather than go and buy a new panel or or paint over something that they painted in the 80s, but that they don't want to have anymore. And then they'll repaint. So I think there is a lot. Um, I mean, I in the manufacture of, I don't know, paint and and that it's, it's not my um, forte, but I think that the more that artists use and voice their opinions about um, recycled and green um, products that it's going to come more and more on the, on the market. We go to, um, you know, quite remote places. Um, so there's not a lot of people around and then we get off. And so you're walking along a pristine beach and you'll see something and it's like, oh, that's an odd color. 
And um, then sure enough, you go and you scrape away the sand or the pebbles and, and there's this amazingly beautiful old rusty piece of a boat or it's a, a piece of wood um, that doesn't, you know, you know that it's been manufactured. It's not just something that's floated in from uh, a branch or anything. And then, so then it intrigues me and I, I start to look at it thinking like, you know, what is this and where did it come from and how can I use it? And then I take it back to the boat and squirrel it away. I love it when I get it back to my studio because on the beach, it's kind of in its element. But when you bring it away from the, and then you put it in my studio and you put it on my work table, now it's a whole different animal. And I, it intrigues me and I um, get to put other ar objects with it or alter it. And uh, I just find it kind of fascinating. I have a curiosity cabinet in my studio and I'll, I, all my favorite things are in there and I'll just go and look. And, and so sometimes it's a totally, uh, a total just visual objects that need to go together, right? I take that little ball of copper and I put it with a old doll's head or something because something's in the, in the pieces needs that to speak to each other. I did do some nature pieces, like I would bring rolls of birch bark, which I find they're so beautiful, but I found myself moving away from that. And uh, so, yes, but I do, especially in my photography, I um, use, like even if I'm doing an architectural piece in a collage, I'll have flowers or trees in that because it's, I mean, I live in nature in BC. So it, you can't help but be influenced by it. I just think that we're headed, artists are headed in the right direction by using already pieces that are already here that need to be repurposed, recycled, reduced. Um, or um, they are thinking about when they go to the store to buy an object, I mean, a, a, a material that they do think about where it's come from. So I think that that is a great practice and I think we're going to see more and more of it and that because of that, then we get into conversations with our clients and then our clients start thinking about it and they tell their children and so on and so on. And then hopefully we, you know, use more green. <laughs> David Ellingson is a Canadian photographer creating images that speak to the relationship between humans and the natural world. Splitting his time between his home in Victoria and the island of Cortez where he was raised, he works predominantly in long-term cumulative projects with a focus on climate, biodiversity and deforestation. My name is David Ellingson, and uh, I am uh, consider myself an environmental artist. I've been uh, a photographer for about 22 years and uh, born and raised here in British Columbia on a uh, little tiny Cortez Island. I started as a commercial photographer, and then I decided that uh, it was more important for me to move into uh, the arts and to speak to what's going on with the environment and the natural world. I focus on mostly biodiversity and, uh, and the forest and, uh, and then the climate crisis sort of uh, in, in a general way as well. And um, just all, the, all those things that I, I really see being impacted here in my own local environment in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, it's really important for me to speak about the land that I know. 
I've committed to just having one camera. I've been selling off my, my, my cameras that I've used over my career over the last short while. There's so much gear involved, or can be so much gear involved in photography, and I certainly saw that in the commercial world. When I first started, I used, used a Hasselblad film camera, which I, when I bought it, it was a used camera and it was already 30 years old and was still going. Of course, when digital came in, well, the turnover is, is so phenomenally fast. And I can only imagine the waste that goes into that with the the e-waste the e that we all know about in, in our daily life. So I've committed to being as minimal as possible with my gear. In terms of the production of my work, I print using pigment inks on papers, mostly 100% cotton rag. So not doing uh, anything with any artificial materials. And when I frame, it's using only glass and wood and metal. So again, it's similar. I try to stay away from plexiglass and plastic and all of that stuff in those processes as well. And I'm even getting into the stage now where literally hanging raw prints on the wall using magnets or um, a grommet and hook system and those types of things. So I'm thinking a lot about the actual physical impact of the physical objects that I'm creating in my work and putting out into the world. And of course, it's that's one thing that's so great with the digital world, we can exhibit our work with much less impact, no shipping, all those, especially virtual exhibitions. I think that the arts are uniquely positioned to, to bring an emotional perspective and help for people to connect with this issue emotionally, because as we've all as we're all aware now, a constant barrage of scientific facts have done nothing. Or we, or humans haven't responded to that anyway. I shouldn't say they've done nothing, but we're certainly in an ever worsening position. It's definitely an incredible challenge for artists to make work that actually cuts through the avalanche of noise that we're all subjected to every day to actually get to the heart of the matter. And I think that that's a really difficult, difficult task. I really think artists who can get their work out into the world through things like Instagram and through the digital world that we're, we're all a part of these days, in addition to what we've done traditionally, um, I think is definitely something to think about. I'm uh, lucky enough to be friends with a gentleman, uh, Rex Weiler, who is one of the original founders of Greenpeace. He was one of the very first photographers with Greenpeace that really sort of began using photojournalism uh, to speak to environmental issues. So I probably had a little conversation with Rex and I said, how do you not get frustrated that things are only ever getting worse after, you know, all this time and all this effort and all this work that, that everybody's done? And and Rex talked about, um, you know, having to look at things in from the perspective of deep time and that, you know, even if things uh, continue to worsen and, and uh, we see uh, the events and effects happen that, uh, that are, have been projected, the worst case scenarios, that, you know, we have to take heart that in, in terms of, of deep time, in another, you know, 250,000 years, the earth will have cleaned itself out and will have hopefully evolved into a new stage of being and, there will, and life will continue. I think that that's definitely a way that has helped me continue to make this work, which can be quite challenging to continue to address on a daily basis within your practice, um, but still always maintain hope and, and, and at least some sliver of hope and not fall into despair. But there are also lots of artists who are doing uh, and using um, much more natural processes within photography nowadays. And they're using natural materials and using, you know, I mean, the one that springs to mind is, you know, using coffee grounds or tea for staining your prints and those types of things. We have had these, this incredible luxury of not having to think too deeply about that. 
and just being able to make work and get on with it and and get it out there in the world and and move on. So I think that that's a a general cultural thing, though. All of our feet are now being held to the fire because now we all know, especially artists who are so sensitive to our surroundings and so sensitive to the stimuli that are coming into to into our environment and into our ourselves from from the world around us. And I think that's what artists do is respond to that and make work around that. And now to, to, to have this realization that, that the actual materials we're using can have such an impact, I think is a really great thing to be um, carefully considering. The first step is definitely for all of us to consider our own practices and, and again, the inputs and the outputs uh, um, and, and where those are coming from and what they're doing out in the world. But I also think we've got to speak to our suppliers. So if we come across a, a paintbrush, let's say, and it's wrapped in plastic and then put in a plastic bag, a second one or something, and then it's put on the shelf to purchase. You know, I, th I think it's really critically important for us, not only if that's the brush we need for our practice, that's the one we have to get. But I think the missing link that I see with a lot of people that I know in my world is taking that extra time to actually communicate with the, 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 the person, the company, the, the corporation, whoever that is that's manufacturing that and start to put pressure on them because our governments are working at that. But in too, too slow. Everything's too slow for in, in, in terms of the timeframes we're, we're working with now. For me, that's that's the, the step that I think would really be uh, additionally um, uh, helpful in, in an art, artist practice. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and feel motivated and empowered. There are many ways to engage our creative worlds in acts of beauty and activism. On our end, Protecting the environment is a huge priority. We're constantly looking for ways to reduce our footprint and support our community to do the same, working closely with suppliers to bring you more eco-friendly products, as well as developing new demos and resources for a greener practice. Be sure to keep an eye out for our Recreate program, an art supply recycling initiative we're about to launch across our stores. I'd like to thank Alex, Valerie, Gay and David for joining me, and of course, all of you too. Don't forget to tune in next month when we discuss art in the garden. Till then, thanks for listening. <laughs>